You are listening to Perplexity. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Perplexity, a mystery podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kadra, and I know it's been quite a while since we had a cult episode. So today I'm bringing you a double feature. But before we get into that, I have just a couple of quick but very exciting announcements. Perplexity now has a Patreon, so I just wanted to promote that. I've been talking about it on my Instagram, but this is the first time that I've recorded actually in the new year. So I just wanted to let everybody know the Patreon's going to have tons of exclusive bonus content. You will also have early access to the regular episodes that I publish week after week, like this one. You're also first in line for topic requests and listener stories. And you will, of course, get a welcome letter from me as a thank you and a shout out on the show. So if you want to join the Patreon, you can check out the show notes. And that is much appreciated. It's a great way to support me as I do not qualify for any type of ad revenue or monetization. I have already posted volume one of creepy stories from the internet on my Patreon, which was widely requested by you guys. Uh, volume two is also dropping this week because I am recording it today. And I also released a personal stories episode already on Patreon as well. So get on there. And with that, I wanted to welcome some of my new patrons. So welcome to Scott and welcome to Amanda G. Also, super exciting, I have launched my new merch for 2024 on Bonfire. I still have my 2023 merch, the super cute summer design, so you can always get that. But I have this new uh, intergalactic UFO type of design as well. I love it. I'm definitely going to get myself like a long sleeve in it or something. And that's another way to support me. A portion of those proceeds does go to me and helps me pay for equipment and other things that I need to keep the show running. So if you do buy merch, I will shout you out on the show. Thank you so much in advance. You can find the link for my merch in the episode description and uh, my flow code link, which I have in my Instagram bio. And last announcement that I did do a collaboration with a new podcast called Cryptids, Creeps, and Conspiracy. The host is Natasha. And that was a scattered kind of discombobulated episode. Uh, I didn't know what we were going to be talking about, really. I didn't have any like prep for it. So if you want to hear me unscripted trying to talk about conspiracy theories in like a minute or less with Natasha, we're talking about tons of different conspiracy theories. So you can check that out. I think that just came out either this week or last week at the time that this episode will drop. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Trigger warning, we are going to be discussing some heavy and disturbing content, including assault. This is a cult episode, so this may not be for you, and this show is not for children. All of the sources that were used for today's episode will be available down in the show notes as usual. So 
So a couple of weeks ago, my boyfriend TJ sent me these reels on Instagram talking about yogi tea and celestial seasonings. So these are very popular tea companies. If you haven't heard of celestial tea, you probably know them for their sleepy time tea. It's like the number one most famous tea in America. But both of these companies have a very troubling past. So that is what we are going to be talking about today. As a tea drinker myself, these are teas that have been in my pantry on a regular basis, so it was very enlightening to find these things out, and uh, I think there's going to be some new teas that I need to find to drink, so if you guys have any recommendations, let me know. So we're going to talk about yogi tea first. So yogi tea originated because of a man named Yogi Bhajan. He was originally named Harbhajan Singh Puri. And he was born in 1929 and came to Toronto in 1968. He then later relocated to Los Angeles, California with his wife and three kids in 1969. Bajan enjoyed teaching kundalini and white tantric yoga. So like these traditional yoga and meditation types of practices, but he kind of put his own spin on it. He would do a lot of classes throughout California and New Mexico. And this was at the height of the New Age movement, which we've talked about on this podcast before. We've talked about how big it was in this time period to be looking for the hottest new Eastern medicine type of practice and how a lot of these people were seeking for intelligence and spiritual connection. So keep that in mind as we talk about this. So Bajan changed his name and became Bajan after he came to the United States. And he claimed to everyone he basically met that he was this well-known prominent figure, even a holy man in India. But this was not true in any way, shape or form. Bajan was a civil servant and customs inspector. He was born in the province of Punjab, which is now part of Pakistan. And his father was a Sikh man, but he attended Catholic school and began practicing yoga when he was only eight years old. By the time he was only 16, he was considered a master of kundalini yoga. And in 1947, Bajan's village had to be evacuated, and he led more than a thousand villagers to safety. He relocated later in life to Delhi and attended university, where he got a degree in economics, and then he started working as a head of customs at the airport. And then eventually in 1968, that's when he went to Toronto, and then in 69, he came to the States. So that is the real history of Bajan. So Bajan basically had this fake it till you make it persona about him when it came to impressing people, building an empire, and making as much money as he could. And this seemed to work in his favor because he grew a very large following as a yoga mentor. And he even served the Indian prime minister for some time. He was like his little assistant, I guess. He would often claim many of his followers were Sikhs to gain notoriety in India and that a lot of his practices stemmed from Sikhism. But this was a total lie as well. Because by following Bajan's teachings, Sikhs would actually be violating their traditional teachings. He made many other bold and false claims too, like he was the official religious and administrative leader of all of the Sikhs in the Western world, and that he taught a top secret form of yoga. And if anyone is familiar with the New Age movement, you know that they love top secret new information about spiritualism. 
It wasn't long before Bajan formed the 3HO Foundation, standing for happy, healthy, and whole. Many people believe that Bajan was a figurehead in yoga, and he became so popular in the United States in the 70s, he's kind of been seen as like the reason that yoga blew up in the U.S., which you'll see later that this guy is a total piece of shit, but I do practice yoga on a weekly basis. So, you know, kind of something to think about. As Bajan became very popular and got a lot of money, he was able to get a large ranch in New Mexico, along with over 100 acres of land where he started to build this religious compound for his followers. By the time it was 1977, he had opened over 100 yoga centers all throughout the US, Canada, and overseas. He also claimed at this time he had about 250,000 followers, but this has also been debated. And when it was 1994, the 3HO Foundation, also known as Sikh Dharma International, joined forces with the United Nations. So this is when they were getting a lot of political prominence. They became a consulting group with the Economic and Social Council, representing things like women's issues, promoting human rights, and providing education about alternative medicine. Remember this for later, because it's quite ironic. Sikh Dharma International ran a bunch of other small businesses, including a huge security company that we'll talk more about later, along with the East West Tea Company, yoga centers, a new age music production company, and more. And this is very common with cults. They create a bunch of businesses. They make their followers work in these companies for very little money. Uh, a lot of times they give their money solely to the leader. And this is basically like their version of a multi-level marketing scam. So as I said, at one time, Bajan gained a lot of political prominence. In 1972, Nixon declared America's number one domestic problem was drugs. And this is when Bajan launched a pilot program in D.C. attempting to treat heroin addiction through yoga and consuming garlic juice. Bajan also had a lawyer that had a lot of political prominence. His name was Guru Tarath Singh Khalsa. He was New Mexico's deputy attorney general at one point in the 90s. And every year, a member of Bajan's group would lead the prayer at the state's legislature's inaugural session. So, you know, they're gaining more and more power. People are loving them, including political figureheads. And now we're going to talk about their big security company. So they called it a call or ACL security. And this security company was under the 3HO Foundation, also known as Sikh Dharma International. And for a while, they only hired Yogi Bajan's group members. This was during the 80s. Then later they branched out and began hiring non-members as well but they eventually became the largest judicial security contractor in the United States. They were awarded billions of dollars with a B, and his clients included the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Justice, 
federal courthouses, airports, and the Department of Defense. Today, most ACOL security employees are not members of Bajan's group, but there are still some to this day. ACOL guards secure dozens of Army and Air Force bases, along with airports, public transit systems, and more. And stay with me, this is all going to tie together soon. So, as I mentioned earlier, Bajan claimed his philosophy was rooted in Ayurveda, combining sensual pleasure with overall well-being practices. Seems like a lot of other cults. A common practice after his classes was to service his pupils with what became known as yogi tea. And this tea had five key ingredients. Cinnamon, ginger, cardamom, black pepper, and cloves. He taught his followers that this would increase their circulation, it would make their joints less stiff, it would make it easier to digest things, and it would relieve nausea and gas. Sounds mostly harmless so far, right? But this is where we start to get into the problems with Yogi Tea. So the 3HO website has also made claims that their tea can help with addicts. So it can basically help like treat addiction. And like I said, Bajan at one point was like claiming he could cure heroin addicts by like just making them do yoga and drink garlic juice. And Bajan had some bizarre teachings. He claimed that he could predict the future, that he could see auras around people. And his following continued to get bigger and bigger as decades passed. He would build ashrams throughout the U.S. He began to encourage members to build these businesses under him. Think of it, like I said, as an MLM. His followers were establishing all these businesses, including the Golden Temple Conscious Cookery Restaurants, and this is where they started packaging and selling Bajan's tea. And they put it under another company name. So... East West Tea Company. This company was a huge success. People were obsessed with this guy. Men longed for Bajan's approval. Women adored him and fell at his feet. It was an honor to be in his presence. He had a billion dollar empire that he had built all on lies. Political figureheads befriended him, attended his birthday parties, but all of this would change in the year of 2019. In 2019, a shocking backstory for Bajan was revealed when his former secretary, a woman named Pamela Dyson, published a book called Primka, White Bird in a Golden Cage, My Life with Yogi Bajan. In this book, Dyson wrote about a forced sexual relationship that she had with Bajan along with as many as 14 other victims in the group. Dyson also claimed at one time she became pregnant with Bajan's child and that he forced her to have an abortion. Like many other stories similar to this, once this book was published, it didn't take long for other alleged victims to come forward. And remember those things that he claimed to stand for. Women's rights human rights, and meanwhile, he's assaulting women. Disgusting. So the 3HO gets word of this. They kind of have this whole board at this point with all these other members, and they allegedly took these claims seriously, hiring an independent investigation company to look into this. 
And it's been pretty much confirmed after over a dozen interviews, documentation, and an investigation that became known as the Olive Branch Report that Bajan raped at least three women, injured eight women during sex, assaulted at least nine people, showed pornography to minors, ordered women to shave their pubic hair, and directed women to have sex with other women. All the while, mind you, proclaiming to his followers that he was celibate. What a piece of shit. An open letter was soon released on the 3HO's website saying, quote, We cannot undo the past, nor can we undo the actions of a man we trusted as a spiritual teacher and guide. We can, however, commit to transforming our organization so that we can truly embody our core values, end quote. And after this, they took Yogi Bajan's face off of the side of some of their tea boxes. Uh, a lot of companies that promoted him took him off their website. So people started, you know, parting ways with him. There have also been a lot of other reports, like people claiming that they were, of course, abused at the hands of Bajan, like just the followers were like, physically and emotionally abused and manipulated. Uh, they were forced to give up their birth names and sever ties with anyone outside of their community. And thorough investigation uncovered that this reported abuse went as far back as the 70s. So pretty much as soon as he started <laughs> this whole company. All followers were forced to wear white robes and turbans, and they were forbidden to cut their hair. Their followers also had to carry swords at their sides, like some traditional Sikhs in India. Several former students also alleged that they were threatened with violence when they tried to leave the group. To give further insight, according to Kamala Rose Kaur, former member of Bajan's group, quote, Unfortunately, back when I joined Yogi Bajan's group when I was 18 in 1973, Stephen Hassan hadn't yet written his books Combating Cult, Mind Control, and Releasing the Bonds. My family didn't know what to do when I disappeared into an authoritarian group, changed my name, and stopped phoning them. I was getting up at 3.30 a.m., taking a cold shower each day, I did way too much extreme breathing and yoga exercise, too much chanting and fasting, combined with too little sleep. We worked all day and taught yoga classes at night. We did everything as taught by Yogi Bhajan, end quote. Classic cult behavior. They had to do these chants for hours, and Bajan also forced all of his followers to be vegetarian and take part in these regular fasts. It was also common practice for his followers to work 12 hours a day for all these little companies that he had for very little money. There's even an unsolved murder within the commune, which is still under investigation. And there is a history of suicides within the community. Some of the sources I found even claimed there were two unsolved murders. Bajan even arranged marriages between members as their following grew, understandably, children began to grow up in this commune. So schools were created in India and New Mexico. 
According to recent allegations, these schools were dangerous. They were infested with lice and disease. The children were neglected and put in very poor living conditions, and there were extreme physical punishments. The children were often malnourished as well. At one point, to isolate and manipulate the victims even further, Bajan implemented a practice that he called non-attachment, where he took a bunch of these children and young teens and he rehomed them to total strangers in India. Cult expert Steve Hassan has helped former members and victims, and he has reported that he's also aware of various criminal activities and Security Exchange Commission convictions of members of Bajan's inner circle. Bajan died in 2004 from heart failure in his home in New Mexico when he was 75, which really pisses me off because he died before all of this blew up and he got to see his empire kind of crumble down. After his death, former Governor Bill Richardson would say that Bajan was a, quote, man of peace, compassion, and intelligence. And he even named a highway after him in 2005, a unanimous vote from New Mexico State Transportation Commission to change the name from Highway 106 to the Yogi Bajan Memorial Highway, which, by the way, is still the name of this highway today. Now, to be fair, this is before everything came out, but still, like, it's been out now since 2019, and we're still gonna keep this highway as the Yogi Bajan Highway, really? Get with it, New Mexico. In 2010, Bajan's widow, a woman named Bibiji, sued Yogi T and the state of Oregon for excessive compensation, exclusion of the Bajan family from the board, so they kicked them off after all of this, and they also alleged that Bajan's former advisors forged documents to take over the company. She wanted her and her family to be on the company board, and she also sought $150 million in compensation. So I'm not sure how much of this was known to the board at this time because everything became public in 2019, but it sounds like quickly after Bajan died that the family that Bajan had was kind of kicked out of the picture of Yogi T. Legal battles ensued until 2018, so a year before all of these stories came out, when federal judge Michael W. Mossman dismissed the charges, ruling the court shouldn't become entangled in religious controversies. Mossman also found that the board had a religious duty, which allowed them to remove religious leaders as they saw fit. And to wrap things up about Yogi T, I do want to give a quote from the Sinisters Society's podcast. Quote, at the height of the hippie movement, he also brought a so-called powerful and secretive yoga to the United States. Celebrities such as Madonna, Kate Hudson, and Alicia Keys have embraced it. And his spiritual organization created a well-known tea brand that could be found in supermarkets around the world. Yogi Bajan created a billion-dollar empire that is still going strong 17 years after his death, even after being called the Harvey Weinstein of yoga. End quote. And that is the horrifying story of Yogi Tea and Yogi Bajan. So to be fair, it sounds like the 3HO Foundation has separated from Bajan, separated from all of that, 
but you know, just things to think about as you're purchasing these items. Okay, so you guys said you wanted longer episodes, so now we're going to get into part two. Like I said, this is a cult double feature. So now we're going to be talking about Celestial Seasonings. So Celestial Seasonings, the brand that creates the infamous Sleepy Time Tea with the cute little bear and the nightcap, this is America's number one tea manufacturer. They're based in Boulder, Colorado, and they rake in a lot of dough. Like we're talking over a hundred million dollars annually. Their sleepy time tea is their number one bestseller and the best-selling specialty tea of all time. So these guys are huge. Celestial Seasonings was founded in 1969 by a group of hikers slash hippies with founder Mo Siegel in the Rocky Mountains. They would often frequent this area looking for the best natural ingredients that they could use for wellness purposes. This same year, Siegel began serving Asian herbal teas to customers in their local shop that they had opened up. This concept was innovative because at the time, tea in the United States and Great Britain was entirely contrived from the plant Camellia sinensis. And this was the first herbal tea. So that was a really big deal. By the year of 1972, they released their infamous Sleepy Time Tea, and this was an overnight success. They became a business, and Siegel later became the president of Celestial Seasonings. So the dark and weird background of Celestial Seasonings, similar to Yogi Tea, didn't come out until much more recently. So this became public record in 2015. Megan Giller or Jiller wrote a story about Mo Siegel's religious text. And remember, Mo Siegel is the founder of Celestial Seasonings. So the writer of this text remains a mystery, but it was traced back to Siegel and another employee named John Hay. This book is called the Urantia Book. The book appeared in Chicago sometime between the 1920s and the 50s, and it is a huge text. It's over 2,000 pages long. We know that by 1955, it was published by the Urantia Foundation, which lists Mo Siegel as their president. Now, this is where it gets really strange. The Urantia book claims to be a source for extraterrestrial wisdom and revelation, and it was written by celestial beings, allegedly. The book also self-identifies any followers of their teachings as cult members. After further investigation, it is most likely the Urantia book was written by a doctor in Chicago named William Sadler. Sadler had an interest in spiritualism and the paranormal, but he also had some very backwards and dangerous beliefs that we will get into. Sadler claims that when he wrote this book, he was simply a messenger and that the book's contents came from a neighbor. 
There were many theories for how this book was written, but the most popular theory is thus. Around 1911, a neighbor approached William Sadler and his wife, concerned about her husband's sudden, strange behavior and sleeping patterns. The patient in question was a man in Sadler's apartment building. The neighbor was speaking in a voice that was not his own and claiming that he was, quote, a student visitor on an observation trip here from a far distant planet, end quote. Sadler and his wife began having conversations with this neighbor and kind of assessing him. They were both doctors. And these conversations went on for nearly a decade while Sadler and his adopted daughter took notes. By the 1920s, Sadler and a group of his friends put together a bunch of questions to ask these celestial beings. So basically, you know, Sadler and his wife and his adopted daughter are in this room with this neighbor, and this neighbor claims that he's being channeled by an alien who has this enlightening information. So these questions were asked through the neighbor to the aliens. Hope that makes sense. Like I said, they had a bunch of questions for these aliens. Who wouldn't? But they had 4,000 questions, to be exact. And a few weeks later, the neighbor furiously wrote a manuscript answering all of these 4,000 questions. Not only this, but the celestial beings presented their message in a language called Uversa, which had to be translated into something called Salvington, and then it had to be translated into something called Satania before it was finally translated into English. What, what the fuck, what is going on? <laughs> this story is so fucking weird. So this neighbor, uh, their name was never revealed, but some people believe that it was Sadler's brother-in-law, a man named Wilfred Custer Kellogg, and no, this is not the man who founded Kellogg's. I double-checked. But if you look more into the background of William Sadler, you will find some very problematic and horrific ideals. You see, Sadler was interested in race eugenics. Lovely. For those of you who don't know or maybe need a reminder, uh, eugenics seeks to remove people that they have deemed inferior from the gene pool. One of Sadler's known favorite books was Madison Grant's The Passing of the Great Race, which claims that Nordic people were the ideal human race and getting rid of other races would allow society to be rid of undesirables, using air quotes, who crowd America's jails, hospitals, and asylums. In case you need a reminder, these stories rose in popularity with the Nazi party in Germany, which later led to the Holocaust. Sadler's wife also seems to have supported these claims. And like I said, she was also a physician. So she, like a lot of doctors, had these like public like these publishings, she would like release these writings. And in one of her writings, she wrote, quote, at least 90% of crime, insanity, feeble mindedness, moronism and abnormal sexuality, not to mention many other forms of defectiveness and degeneracy, 
could be eliminated by eugenics. She also believed, quote, within a century, our asylums, prisons, and state hospitals would be largely emptied of their present victims of human woe and misery, end quote. Just disgusting. William Sadler also published three books all about eugenics in the early 1900s. So it's pretty clear that these Sadlers were incredibly racist and disgusting human beings. Sorry, not sorry. So in this Urantia book, let's go back to this now. There are six human races and they're separated into colors. Huge red flag. It's giving those people on Instagram and Facebook that are like, I don't care if you're red, yellow, or purple. And so these races were separated into colors. In the Urantia book, there were red people, orange people, yellow people, green, blue, and indigo. So this lovely rainbow. And the, uh, the, indi the indigo race is black people. And the book argues that indigo people are the most inferior race. And the superior race is fair-skinned and blue-eyed people that they called Adam and Eve. The Urantia book also argues for eugenics. There are many other insane and deplorable ideas in this book, including Satan, Adam and Eve, and Jesus were all aliens, <laughs> and that mind control is an acceptable practice and should be practiced in modern-day society. Kind of feel like it is already. The author also called for Urantians, the name that they gave their followers, to replace Christianity with a, their words, new cult. They said it, not me. And they would become the true religion of the future if everything went to plan. Well, <laughs> didn't fucking happen. The book also supports the multiverse theory and the concept of reincarnation. So it is believed that there are at least a few thousand Urantians in the world today. And you can actually download this entire book for free because according to the Urantia Foundation, the authorship was done by superhumans. So an Arizona court ruled in 1995 that this book is not protected by copyright. It's public domain because it wasn't written by humans. What is going on? The book has been translated into 20 languages and other works have been written that got their inspiration from this book. So if you're still with me, you may be wondering like, okay, okay, this is all terrible, but how does this tie back to Mo Siegel and Celestial Seasonings, right? So let's bring it all together now. Mo Siegel, the president of Celestial Seasonings, and remember, the president of the Urantia Foundation, who published the Urantia book, co-authored an article for the Urantia Foundation. And this article was called The 20 Most Asked Questions. In this article, Siegel verbalized his belief that illness is caused by evil, and that we will never cure disease because humankind loses about as much progress as it makes by ignoring eugenics. There is also a theory that Celestial Seasonings got its name from the Urantia book. 
though they claim that they named the book after their co-founder, Lucinda Ziesling's flower name, because the book claimed to be authored by celestial beings, though, celestial seasonings may literally refer to sprinkles of wisdom from aliens. Furthermore, many people have alleged that the Urantia book inspired Mo Siegel to found celestial seasonings in the first place. The Urantia book guided how he ran the business from the very beginning. Mo Siegel has admitted this. He has admitted that he read the book the very same year that he founded Celestial Seasonings. And he has been quoted saying, I wanted spiritual adventure and I was on the ride of my life. I was searching for truth, and the book was loaded with it. Yeah. Okay, dude. He has also called the book immensely powerful and claimed that after studying its teachings, he knew that it would be selfish and wasteful to simply focus on material success. So this led him to the health food industry. You know, he's just trying to help his fellow man. He even admitted that he got ideas from the book that inspired the uplifting quotes that are printed on each side of the Celestial Seasonings tea boxes and on the tea tags. Today, Celestial Seasonings continues to be the largest tea manufacturer in North America. It generates an annual revenue of over 57 million US dollars. And because the Urantia book was so influential in the early company culture, many people who know the history of Celestial Seasonings understandably have a lot of concerns and questions. Could these disgusting and dangerous ideas still be baked in to the company? Mo Siegel retired from Celestial Seasonings about two decades ago in 2002, and there is no known link anymore between Urantia and the tea company. But according to thoughtcatalog.com by Chrissy Stockton, quote, the best case scenario is that your sleepy time tea comes from an inspirational tea tag that was derived from a racist eugenics book written by aliens, end quote. It also doesn't help that the company recently declined to comment when media began asking questions about their link to the Urantia book. The big company has also faced a few class action lawsuits over the years including accusations of falsely labeling their sleepy time tea as all natural, even though it allegedly contains pesticides. So like I said, let me know some other teas that I can drink down in the comments, preferably ones that weren't created by racists, people who have assaulted women and are allegedly full of pesticides. So that is the perplexing and absurd history of Celestial Seasonings and Yogi Tea. So what do you guys think about these stories. Had you ever heard of either of them before? Do you drink either of these teas? Let me know. And if you have another crazy cult that you want me to cover, let me know. I would love to hear your thoughts. Remember, there are many ways you can support the show, including joining the Patreon just for $3 a month. That is less than a cup of coffee. And you can also check out my new merch. All of those links are down in the episode description. 
Thank you guys so much. You're all amazing. If you enjoyed, you can always hit that subscribe button or drop a five-star review wherever you are getting your podcasts. I will be talking to you all very soon. I hope you all have a great week. I hope you all stay safe and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to Perplexity, a mystery podcast hosted, written, and produced by Kadra Brennan. If you enjoyed today's episode, tell the world about it by going to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leaving a five-star review. It helps the show more than you know. Contact, support, and merch links can be found in the episode description. And if you have a story to share or a topic request, send an email to perplexitymysterypodcast at gmail.com. Kadra would love to read your story on the podcast. Until next week, stay curious.